ನಿರಂಜನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಂ ಅನಂತರೂಪಂ ಭಕ್ತಾನುಕಂಪಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸಾನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೀತೃತ್ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ತಿರಾಜಾಯ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದಸೂರೈ ಸಚ್ಚಿದ್ಸುಖಸ್ವಾಯ So the last week was the Easter weekend, so we didn't have the class. And before that, we were discussing some aspect before we started our class. that some questions were raised by some of our listeners that again and again we go on saying that god has created us in such a way that we are bound to be empathetic we are bound to love others and now we find in this life that love do entail a lot of suffering and naturally the obviously the question comes are we just like machines but we are bound to love as god has uh, programmed us in that way is there no other way that sometimes that love though it entails suffering as if i have nothing to do and that speaks of as if a creation where everything has been preplanned preprogrammed as per the dictums of god and we are as if bound to suffer so is everything predestined are we bound to suffer that speaks of god which is not kind as if he is cruel so these doubts have arisen in some of our listeners and they were asking some questions for some uh, explanation in this regard so today that apart from our regular text we will just go to a bit deep deeper discussion to understand the way the universe the plan of god we can never understand the plan of god but as per the scriptures have indicated we will try to understand from the point of view of the scriptures that what's the purpose of creation is there any purpose of creation or is there no purpose and if there is purpose what's our role in it so we will try to have an understanding on this theme uh in today's discussion so first of all i would like to just uh, indicate that every day during our arthrikam the second uh i won't say it's a song it's a hymn written by swami vivekananda on sri ramakrishna 
That's a very wonderful hymn written by Swami Vivekananda Ramakrishna. But we won't go to the uh, entire hymn. We will just uh, indicate the first three syllables used before we start chanting that hymn. What is that? Om Rim Ritam. The first line is Om Rim Ritam Tvamachalo Gunajit Gunedya Naktang Divam Sakurunam Tavapada Padmam. So this that's the way how it starts. So the first three syllable is Om Rim Ritam. Why Swami Vivekananda is indicate is using these three uh, syllable at the beginning of the hymn because it actually speaks of the absolute reality and the creation. The entire thing has been described by these three syllables. Om Rim Ritam. What it means? Om speaks of the absolute reality. The undifferentiated reality, which is beyond all the phenomena, which is beyond the mind and the senses. That absolute reality, which is undifferentiated, has been indicated by that undifferentiated sound OM. The word OM you will find is a sound, it is, is a sound which is produced where the tongue is not touching any part of your mouth. The unadulterated sound which starts in your vocal cord with the sound a, uh, as if rolls out in the form of u, and it ends when the lips touch each other with m. So where the tongue is not touching anywhere when you're producing that sound. So what it speaks of, that this is the sound which we can produce, which is the least differentiated. This OM gets transformed into all the alphabets. When in the process of pronouncing OM, our tongue starts touching the various parts of the mouth, we get the other alphabets. Just see when you say uh, that tongue is not touching any part of your mouth. But to say K, immediately they will find that the middle of your tongue is touching the palate. And that sound a uh, gets converted into k. It gets limited. So similar with all the alphabets. All the alphabets are actually a limited expression of that undifferentiated sound om, anahatadhvani. The word anahatadhvani itself is something very significant. Anahata means the sound which is produced without any vibration without any collision. Ahata means to collide. So when you're pronouncing Aum, so no part of your tongue is colliding with any part of your mouth. So that's why it is Anahata. Since Anahata, the sound which we are producing is something which represents the absolute reality. Why? Because yes, the entire creation, whatever I see, I am a limited expression of that absolute reality. You are a limited expression of that absolute reality, just like all the alphabets. But the absolute reality is beyond all the these limitations. That's why it is represented as OM. So now, this OM 
which represents absolute reality, it finds expression as this phenomenal existence, as energy. Now it comes in the domain of science. Even in science, we'll say this world is nothing but energy. Matter is also energy because we know that energy and matter is interconvertible. The famous equation of Einstein's proves that E is equal to mc square, where it speaks of the interconvertibility of the matter and energy, that everything at last reduces to matter, uh, to energy. In science, they are search, in search of unified energy, where we find that energy finds expression in various ways, <clears throat> like gravitation, like electromagnetic force, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force. <clears throat> in so many ways, it's finding expression. Is there one energy from which all the energy has evolved? The science is in search of that. Rim actually speaks of that unified energy from which the entire creation has evolved. That energy is something not separate from the absolute conscious principle, the undifferentiated conscious principle, the absolute reality, the ohm. It is not something different. From that, it has emanated. And when this energy emanates from that absolute reality, from that conscious principle. It never emanates as a chaos. If there was chaos, there wouldn't have been any creation. Just take an atom bomb. It explodes, it destroys. We cannot think of any creation with that type of energy. But the same nuclear energy, when it is when the explosion happens in a controlled way, in a controlled nuclear fission within the nuclear chamber, now it becomes constructive. I can use that energy for constructive purposes. So it has to be within some laws, within some regulations, restrictions. That's what we find that the energy when it is finding expression within certain rhythm, with certain laws, then only I can think of creation. So the science also has found that, that gravitation follows certain laws. Electromagnetism follows certain laws. Magnetism, all these photons follow certain laws. The science has discovered that. So these, all the energy, which is finding expression as laws, as rhythm, is expressed as rhythm. The God, the absolute reality, finds expression as Shakti, and that Shakti is not chaotic. It finds expression as the wonderful universal laws. So that's how the entire creation emanates from the divine is being indicated just by this three syllable, how wonderfully they have discovered, they described Om, Rim, Rhythm. Now just, we will take an example to understand this. These examples, we should not just uh, think that it is a thing in itself. These are called upama. Certain aspects of it, we take help of to understand what I am speaking of. Now, the, to understand that undifferentiated reality is so difficult. So, let us take the example of a magnet to understand what it is speaking of. Now, just take an ordinary iron bar. There is no magnetism in it. So it is something like that undifferentiated absolute reality as per the magnetism is concerned. 
that magnet is hidden in the iron bar, but it is not manifest yet. It is not yet manifested. It is just hidden potentially. Now, if I can somehow, with the help of some external magnet or whatever it may be, I can align all the magnetic dipoles in within that magnetic iron bar. All the magnetic dipoles are scattered. And that's why the magnetic field is zero. Each are negating each other. That's why as we actually contemplated on Brahman, that's why it's in the Vedic culture, in the Vedic civilization, the concept of zero evolved. Zero never means absence of anything. Zero means balance. Something negating the same thing. Four minus four is zero. Two minus two is zero. The same thing negating the same thing gives a balance. That is the zero. So the magnetism in an ordinary iron bar is zero because all the magnetic dipoles there are scattered. So the magnetic field of one is negating the other. So the, though the potential is a magnet, but its magnetic field is zero. So if somehow I can align all the magnetic dipoles in such a way that the north poles are all in one direction and the south poles are in another direction, immediately it becomes a magnet. I keep some iron filings near it, they're attracted. So now I feel the same, the thing which was appearing as undifferentiated, as per the magnetism. Here I won't take the consciousness. Just to understand that, I'm just taking a parallel example that the magnetism which was appearing as undifferentiated now gets differentiated. The moment it gets differentiated as energy, again, we will find it is not chaotic. If I throw the iron filings around it, I will find that they are that, uh, taking a particular pattern around that magnet. So this energy is following certain laws. That pattern speaks of those laws. So, the same thing has been spoken of for the entire creation. The entire creation came out from that conscious principle. Its first manifestation as, as energy, as a Shakti. And that Shakti, again, is not chaotic. It is finding expression as laws, as rhythm. This From the Sanskrit word rhythm, the word rhythm in English has came. Rhythm, that means the laws. That's the Satya. What speaks of the absolute trinity? This law speaks of the absolute trinity. These laws are the truth which indicates, there's an indicator of that absolute reality. So this own dream rhythm has been spoken of as the entire, which speaks of the God as well as his creation. Now the big question comes, even in the magnet, I know that just we are taking this example to have a clear understanding. In the magnet, what happens? that when it was an ordinary iron bar, there was no magnetism visible. Now, the moment the dipoles get aligned in such a way that all the north poles are in one direction, the south pole is in another direction, it becomes a magnet. So I need some external agent to convert that iron bar into a magnet. Otherwise, that potential energy cannot become something manifested. So now the question comes, that the absolute conscious principle, it was by itself perfect. It has no want, no desire, nothing. And now when it was finding expression as Shakti, 
how it got transformed from just as an as an ordinary iron bar by itself cannot get converted into a magnet i need another magnet to make it magnet how come the conscious principle is finding expression as shakti so now in the last class also we were indicating in vedanta in advaitic vedanta in the vedas in the upanishads we will find the concept of agyana is coming that yes somehow the conscious principle is that is the same conscious principle which is finding expression as this universe and the prime primordial uh, matter of the universe is energy so it is the energy which is actually consciousness itself but how it happened so we will find fair the come the concept of agyana the simple answer which the vedas give which the upanishads give is we don't know it has happened how but how it has happened we don't know that's agyana that's ignorance to give it to understand the common example in our day to day life it happens that when we are in deep sleep suddenly we start dreaming and the dream breaks we wake up and then i understand i was dreaming now if someone asks exactly when you started dreaming can we ever answer impossible we can say when the dream ended the moment the nightmare was over i woke up i saw the watch i know the time but can i ever say when the dream started we don't know that's why in vedanta they say agyana is anadi when it started we don't know how it started we don't know but we are more interested about its ending this nightmare can end when the nightmare ends what happens that then i find that what all things i was seeing in the dream were mere uh, what you say that all hallucination were all imaginations they were not real the real thing is me the one who is awake who was is the same thing is the same person who just went to sleep when i went to sleep i am the same person when i awake what all i saw saw in the dream those all were making up of my mind so similarly the vedanta says when the ignorance breaks when i go back to my spiritual identity with my absolute reality then suddenly i realize oh this all was dream when it started how i how it started i don't know but yes it breaks and now i find i have nothing to lose i have nothing to suffer i am the same person as i was that absolute reality all this was actually the making up of the cosmic mind it breaks so that's why this the vedic concept of agyana comes into picture when we have to describe that how that conscious principle has as if transmit has never transformed as if transformed into the shakti and that also again as the laws the universal laws but in the bhagavad gita we find that as our spiritual science evolved the vedas the upanishads end up by saying that it is just agyana but in the bhagavad gita we find a wonderful concept is evolving it is not just satisfied by saying it is ignorance there we find the concept of purushottama is developing what it is saying that we will find the 18th shloka of the 15th chapter what it is being indicated 
यस्माक्षरम अतीतोहम अक्षरात अपि चोत्तम अतोस्मी लोके वेदे च प्रथित पुरुषोत्तम सो देर आर टू थिंग्स इन दिस यूनिवर्स दैट इवन इन मी आर वट आई सी इज माई बॉडी बिहाइंड दैट सम कॉन्शियस प्रिंसिपल मस्ट बी देर टू मूविंग टू मूव दिस बॉडी इट इज समथिंग इनर्ट सो अक्षर अक्षर that i i am not this conglomerate of body of this all these senses behind that that apparently i feel there is a conscious principle so this shloka says that both here is not denying that uh, by saying that i am only the akshara i am only that conscious principle both i am but i transcend both of them that in upanishads we have the idea that absolute reality is the conscious principle that undifferentiated principle which how it has happened we don't know is finding expression as the universe is a projection is projecting itself as a universe but in bhagavad gita <clears throat> the absolute reality has been indicated as the purushottam who transcends both even that absolute reality which we speak of as akshara it transcends that it transcends of course also the physical existence he is a purushottam beyond all that now how, how how to understand this what it is speaking of sri ramakrishna is giving a very nice example a snake just take a snake when it is lying inert it has coiled itself and just lying inert it is the same snake when it is crawling it is moving the same snake which was lying inert is now moving the what is this 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 example sri ramakrishna is used, is using to indicate brahma and shakti are identical brahma shakti abheda so this when the snake is coiled lying inert it appears as if dead but is it dead no the conscious principle is undifferentiated there when it starts moving then immediately find oh it was just lying inert it is actually conscious that's why it's moving but is there any need for some external force to make that snake moving no the snake transcends both the sokshara and the akshara just to understand this this with the help of ramakrishna's example he is something which is transcending both when we just uh limit our understanding by saying that i am the conscious principle then even in our day to day life we will find that the spirituality becomes just uh limited only to vichara constantly just thinking i am brahman it really gets limited to meditation the action factor as if has nothing to do with our life our spiritual life gets compartmentalized that's why bhagavad gita is so important it actually gives the philosophy which can encompass the entire of our life in each and every activity everywhere we can find the expression of the divinity when uh, you are meditating of course you are as if trying to get identified with the akshara with that absolute reality with that absolute conscious principle when i am working the akshara this universe is also the manifestation of the divine i need not have to totally deny it 
I have only have to be conscious of the fact that the divine is finding expression here also. But when it is finding expression akshara, I should always remember it is finding expression through that rhythm. It has certain laws to which I also should abide or else that will cause disintegration. So this is the idea. We can, we can be conscious of the divine in both the states. If we are always aware of that rhythm factor of the this triad, Om, Rim, Rhythm. The absolute reality is finding expression as a triad of Om, Rim, Rhythm of all the three. If we are aware, not only of the Om, of both all the three, then we, we can easily relate our life in such a way that each and every moment becomes a worship of the divine. Nothing remains secular. Everything becomes sacred. We do not have to have a watertight compartment between the secularism and the spiritualism, spiritual life. The spiritual and the secular are actually the obverse and reverse of the same coin. I can never segregate them into a watertight compartment. It's the limitation of the understanding which actually forces us to think that way. So the Sri Ramakrishna's, with, with that example, we understand how nicely that the absolute reality transcends both. Both are the aspects of that absolute reality. That absolute reality is the concept of the Purushottama. It's not just the Purusha. Purusha Uttama, who is something beyond the Purusha. This word Purushottama, what it means? That we generally uh, define the entire creation has two aspects. That ultimately there is two things. As per the yoga, as per the Sankhya philosophy, that Purusha and the Prakriti constitutes the entire creation. Bhagavad Gita is speaking, no, something is beyond that. That Purusha and Prakriti, beyond the Purusha. And that is the Purushottama. This Purushottama has two aspects. Both the Purusha and the Prakriti are the aspects of that Purushottama. Once we know that, now the question comes, what is the nature of the rhythm? We told that the energy, the universal Shakti, finds expression as rhythm. So what is the nature of that rhythm, law? Any law, physical law, as well as all our moral laws, spiritual laws, is there anything common? Yes, there is a common thing. Energy speaks of attraction, bonding, love, interaction. In this entire universe, that one universe that all this, that this energy is finding expression in so many ways. But can in this universe anything lie totally segregated from the entire creation? Nothing. There's a constant inter interaction going on. Everything is interconnected. This rhythm speaks of this interconnectedness. That has been spoken of even in the Bhagavad Gita. The concept of yajna. Yajna generally we think that homa is a yajna. It's a very limited way of understanding. If <clears throat> and if you try to understand homa as yajna, then we never understand this sloka in Gita, the tenth sloka of the third chapter. What it is saying? Sahayajna prajasrishtva purovacha prajapati. Many take it as literal yajna, literal homa, and that's why that the homa is a everyday feature of their life. 
that every day they have to do some fire sacrifice. There's orthodox, some traditions are there. But the yajna, we should not take that in such limited sense. Yajna actually doesn't mean fire sacrifice. It means, <coughs> sorry, it means this interconnectedness. Then why we have limited that fire sacrifice with the yajna? So there is also a idea of interconnectedness, which we have limited. What what's the idea of that interconnectedness there? In the Vedic. Uh, world, in the Vedic culture, all the forces of nature were personified as the divinity. The god of rain is Indra, the god of wind is Varuna, and we know that nature can be, uh, means it is the nature which sustains us, but it can at the same time destroy us. There can be flood, there can be storm, so these forces of nature has to be appeased. So how it can be appeased? So that's all how the Vedic civilization is developing. That when we light fire, we find that the flame moves upwards. All the natural forces, there all the forces are visible all upwards. Rain comes from the sky. Wind is just something which is uh, in the atmosphere, in the sky. So all the natural forces, are as if something not in our domain. It's something up high in the sky. They have to be appeased. How can I appease? I cannot reach there. The fire is something which moves upwards. If I offer anything in the fire, immediately I find it as in the sort of flame, it moves upwards. So just see the, how the culture is developing. They, they developed the notion that to appease these the devas who are in the swarga, in the higher domain, we have to offer them something. Now, what we can offer? With our limited understanding, what we like, the devas also should like. If the guest comes to your house, what will you do? The things which I like, with that only I will try to treat him. Just with the idea, with the conviction that he must probably also like that. And that's what they're doing. The, all the uh, things that which they have, that's the uh, ultimate climax of the civilization. The, pure ghee and other things. They're offering the fire and the flames are moving up with the idea is all the personification of the divine, the Indra, the Varuna, they will be happy and in turn they will nurture us. There won't be flood, there won't be drought, we will have uh, abundant cultivation. So here you find that yajna has interconnectedness. I'm trying to relate to them. I'm trying to give something to the divine so that they in return give me something. Now Bhagavan Krishna in Gita is doing a wonderful thing. He's taking this idea, not the exact ritual as the idea of the yajna, this interconnectedness. And now what he's saying, sahayajna praja srishtva. And this creation came into being, the rhythm which was followed. When the Brahman find expression as energy, it is taking the form of the creation. It is following certain law. What is that law? That law is the yajna. That everywhere, everything is interconnected. When in this uh, Krishna, as a young boy, took some, you know, that soil, that ch children, whatever they find, they take in. And the mother Yashoda, wanting to just uh, bring out that lump of soil which Krishna has, swallowed. 
is forcing his cheek, is just forcing his, pressing his cheek to forcefully open the mouth. And what she sees, she sees the entire universe there in that small lump of clay. What actually speaks of, is it something uh, mysterious? No. Actually, we don't have the eyes of Yashoda to see the exact reality. Wherever there is soil, know it for certain, something organic should be there. You go to the center of Australia, it's all red desert. No soil you find there. It's all sand, red sand. How the soil comes is a tree, the living beings die, decompose. And that's how, mix up with the sand and gradually that gets transformed into soil. Wherever soil is, it speaks of life. Without life, there cannot be soil. So when you see a lump of clay, like Yashoda, if I had eyes, immediately I, sh I should have the capacity to see a tree there. The moment you can see a tree there, you, have to you are bound to see the sun there. Without sun, you cannot think of tree. You have to see the minerals which has nurtured that tree. Not a single mineral has been created on this earth. We are all stardust. From the stardust, all this mineral came. That's how the earth is rich in all the minerals. So the entire universe has to be seen in the single lump of clay. That's what's the idea of interconnectedness. And nothing lies segregated in this universe. If whether it is in the physical level or in the intellectual level or in spiritual level, we are all interconnected. So when he created the rhythm, what's the law behind this creation? Is the yagya. That we will understand this sloka. It's not just simply the homa which you are doing. Sahayagya prajasrishtva. When I created this universe, I did it with that idea of yagya. Puruvacha prajapati. The first creation, when prajapati, the cosmic mind came into existence. He's the prajapati. The first came the cosmic mind. From that, the entire creation came. So, when I created that, I did it with the I, what you say with the concept of yagya. Let the entire creation sustain itself with this yagya. Anena prasavishwadhyam esha o ishtas kamadhuk. Let it become your kamadhuk. That it yield whatever you want. In this life, whatever you want, it will be, can yield, it, can, it will yield all the things. If we are doing with that awareness of that idea of yagya behind it. So this is the wonderful thing which we find in the Bhagavad, from the Bhagavad Gita, this idea is emanating. And with this idea, actually the entire Karma Yoga is related. Karma Yoga sometimes we think is dispassionate action. I have nothing to do with the world. I am dispassionately, it speaks of like something like a psych psychopath. The psychopaths also does everything without any emotion. You know why the emotion is created? That in our brain, there is a center for emotion, which is constantly getting tagged up with the centers of perception. When you, you can all relate, when you first came to Australia, how lonely you used to feel, those who have migrated. Whenever we migrate to a new place, first we feel so lonely. And gradually we find our world there. You know what has happened? When we come, we cannot relate our emotion with what I are seeing. Everything, the buildings, everything looks like that, whatever I have seen in the calendar. Gradually, when I start staying, my emotions start to get linked. Oh, this is my house. This is uh, my, my friend, my relatives. This amnes, this mamatva, 
when this gets tagged up then everything starts gives a sense of reality tangible reality to us without that everything looks like something just picture so here also the what's the, what's the idea which we were speaking of that here that it is this our love or emotions that gives the sense of tangibility of reality with that when we are relating to the world then everything becomes something uh, sweet the duty becomes sweet because of that love behind it and if we take karma yoga as just simply detached action it is almost like a psychopath it's never meant that in bhagavad gita we study properly it's actually totally based on this idea of yagya that once that ultimate reality finds expression as the universe it's always interdependent and that interdependence in the human beings finds expression through empathy through love and that love if i don't make it selfish that it is not i who am loving is a god's plan which is finding expression through this love which is uh, through which the entire creation is going i am just the channel through which that love is flowing now this detachment is something different it is not the detachment of a psychopath i am relating myself to some higher spiritual awareness and then the dispassion which comes that's what speaks of the real karma yoga and then you will find nothing is left out constantly being aware of your divine origin anything you can do you can meditate and even you can plunge into the world and do all your actions without being detached from your spiritual uh, identity so that's the thing the agyana in the upanishads there is a difference between the idea of agyana in the upanishads and in the bhagavad gita in the upanishads the agyana means we do not know that how the perfect became imperfect how the undifferentiated differentiated but in gita the ignorance is the concept is the ignorance about the concept of yagya you will find in the 19th sloka of the 15th chapter the same idea again the idea has been extended that yo mam evam asangmura janati purushottama the one who doesn't know me as the purushottama he is the one who is ignorant but the one who knows me by the when the delusion goes when he knows me as the purushottama then what happens sa sarvavit bhajati mam sarvabhave na bharat is very interesting very important he becomes sarvavit he knows everything and he starts worshiping me not just by going to the shrine and just following certain rituals following certain mantras and limiting his spiritual practice to that only but how sarvabhavena bharat in all possible ways whatever he is doing it becomes a worship once he is aware of the idea of the purushottama the purushottama who transcends both the akshara and the akshara he though that he is that undifferentiated principle it is the same undifferentiated principle which finds expression as this differentiated universe and when it is finding expression it is finding expression as the rhythm and that rhythm speaks of nothing but yagya one who is aware of that immediately the entire life becomes spiritual nothing becomes remains secular so there's a difference between the idea of agyana in the upanishads and in the gita so if we try to relate to the idea of the agyana in the gita it gives a much deeper sense a much deeper meaning 
So this does this now question comes, does this yagya then expresses the cruel authoritative determination of the all-powerful being? That's the question with which we started our class today. That's the question which some of you are asked. That what happens? That the mother feels so much love for the child, child starts growing, and the child and the mother finds that the child is getting more and more separated from the mother. And that's the cause of suffering. The, you know, all other love is something different from the mother's love. In other loves, we find that is the two separate entity as if combines and that gives the happiness. In mother's love is just the opposite. When the child was in the mother's womb, there was all, they were the, both were the same entity. Mother's food was the child's food. Mother's breath was the child's breath. There was no separate entity at all. It was born. It was totally dependent on the mother. Still, the same identity. They're sleeping together. They're waking up together. They're crying together. They're happy together. As long as the child is in the mother's lap, that's how it's going on. And then a time comes after some time, we find the child is growing. It has started walking. It has started relating to the other world. It has friends. And the mother finds the child is now separating. It's the friends are becoming more important in the child's life. <clears throat> Grows up his career, ambition. And now that suffering comes. That I cannot forget the child, but child easily forgets me. And that gives the suffering. And then the question comes, what's the plan of the universe then? Is this the way God has created? How cruel it is. So here actually, now that the real power, that the discussion starts, that it's our wrong way of understanding. In the Upanishads, again and again, it has been said, that it is actually the suffering comes when I am wrongly identifying my identity with this limited self. If I take the entire thing as a whole, the entire picture, there is actually no cause of suffering. In the Upanishads, they say that the from Ananda, Anandatheva Khalvimani Bhutani Jayante, Anandena Jatani Jivanti, Anandam. It is from that ananda, the <clears throat> aspect of bliss. The absolute reality is sat chit ananda. That ananda is finding expression as the creation. In Bhakti Yoga lecture, Swami Vivekananda in one place is using this analogy. You see a small child, <clears throat> it's always happy. And how that happiness finds expression? You'll find constantly it is playing with toys, not only toys. Even if you give it a, if you give a child some clay, it will immediately start building up so many models, so many things with that clay. It builds something he has prepared nicely and then it breaks it. Prepares again something different. That why this child is making, unmaking. It has no purpose. It is just the expression of the joy within. And the child has no purpose as such. Though it has made a wonderful model, the next moment it will break again, make something else. It's the expression of the joy. He's as if playing with the thing, with the, the, and that is finding expression as the game. And now, just to take this analogy and just take that the ultimate reality will be as the Virata Shishu. Najrul, Kavi Najrul Islam has uh, coined that, has used that word. 
Virata Shishu. He is that, <clears throat> that the cosmic child is playing with the universe. But someone asked Ramakrishna that he is playing, but we are dying. We are suffering. It may be his Leela for him, but we all die. And then immediately Ramakrishna replied, where are you? Everything is he. That's the thing. That's the catch. The moment we forget that we are actually one with the absolute reality, the moment we say that I am a separate identity, then the question of suffering comes. If we just take that it is he alone who is playing, where the question of suffering comes. So here that ignorance is the thing which causes the suffering. From that bliss, the world has come out. Why it has come out? You know, when the child is in having that bliss, as an expression of the bliss, it needs something. It needs the toys to play with or something. The Lord was alone. As an expression of the joy, it needed something. So he was that, that you know, that in the Upanishads, uh, they say that uh, the Brahman was ekam eva dvitiyam. And then he created this universe and entered into it. He alone was there. After that, he created and entered. Why? Because that it's an expression of the joy. He wants to play with his own creation. And that creation is not something apart from him. It came out from him and he's playing with it. And any game, what? how can you relate in that game? Through love. In this life, if the joy, the bliss can be experienced only through love. But I cannot love myself. I am alone. So I have created all the entities out of me and through love, I can interact with them. It is only through love. So that's the plan. And this, the other entities are not separate. It is him. Then <clears throat> again, the question comes, if he's, it is his plan to experience the love, then why he has created it as in such a way that we forget, we forget the absolute reality, we forget the uh, divine principle behind our existence and we run towards the world. But again, this to understand, even in our scriptures, even in other scriptures also it is indicated the same thing, that for love again cannot be programmed. Suppose it, uh, what you say, robot has been programmed in such a way that it has unconditional love for you. Will you ever feel love for that uh, robot? Never. You know it's a machine. It has been programmed to love you. You can never feel, you can never reciprocate that love. It's impossible. Love is only possible when you know the other being is also conscious. I love him and he or she has the choice to reciprocate that love. It's not that if he's bound to love me, that cannot, it is, a sl- it is just, he becomes a slave. It's a machine. It cannot be love. He has the choice and out of choice that person reciprocates, then only you experience that love. So that's why God has created, given this choice to us. Otherwise, he will never experience that love. He has given this choice that he may love, he may not love. And out it is this choice which makes us go towards the world. But again, at the same time, the world has been planned in such a way. You can never get happiness out of it. You just simply have to exhaust. And then you have to return. And, and the God is waiting for us eternally. That when we return, 
all this suffering in this ignorance is a plan of the universe so that at last we return there is no answer to it few days back i was hearing a very nice answer that why we suffer in this world very nice answer that this world is just meant for a teaching it is a bridge to just connect us from this uh, to just uh, enable us to transcend this worldly existence it takes us from this worldly existence to the divine existence so this life is just like a bridge and why we suffer in this life no one is supposed to build a house in the bridge isn't it bridge is just to take you to cross over but the problem is out of ignorance we start building our houses on the bridge and that's why we suffer the bridge is not meant to just stay is not there to build a house and we start building house on the bridge and that's why we suffer so if we take the life in that way that is a teaching it is taking us through this phase of our existence to teach us something then the life becomes a joyous game where we are all co-passengers we are all traveling at last to be one with that our ultimate divine identity we are all co-passengers we are all having a joyous ride so this is actually how the divine finding expression it is a constant the divine is never that we have an idea that a time was there when the creation was not there the suddenly the big bang happened and then the creation came into existence even science have started denying that that creation is something that it's not at a singular moment it has happened it's constantly happening like a child it is constantly to find to to express its joy this creation dissolution everything is going on eternally it's not that the creation was not the uh, not there at all and suddenly came out so many big bangs are happening in the universe all the time it's not only this one universe which even in the science that they have started saying that there's all the theories are changing these are all that's why there are all these theories but that's what is indicated in our scripture that creation is something which is eternal and is an expression of the joy and the plan is that in the joy how to experience that joy when we again relate back to our the divine identity for which the god is as if eternally waiting that's why when we go to the temple at last you see, we find that the that that we imagine the divine we start with the idea of the divine as something full of treasures he's having 10 hands like durga there to protect me bless me and at last we end up with gopala no there's no wealth the small child almost naked there's no nothing that he can give me in we find just when you just go to the uh, this image of gopala that instead of uh, that you know this putting his hand in this way as if bestowing us something it's just the opposite he is actually extending his hand as if he is wanting something just see how the idea of divinity has evolved that the god is eternally waiting it is he who is wanting he is the beggar he is waiting for eternally waiting for us to turn back so that he can experience the joy through love for which actually the creation came into existence if you see the creation everywhere it is this interdependence through which in various levels he is experiencing that joy that bliss which comes through love a single cell just take a single cell when the life 
started as a single cell, it found that you know that why that single cell evolves, but something behind it is saying you're eternal. That consciousness will be saying it is eternal, but it finds as a small micro, I'm not eternal because it out of ignorance that e- e- that echo which is hearing is misidentifying it with the micro body. The micro body will die with a little change of temperature, little change of uh, weather conditions. So it finds that its life is so something very uh, uh, vulnerable. It's so vulnerable, but something behind it is saying you're eternal. And then what, how to experience that eternity? Yajna starts there itself. It starts conglomerating with other uh, microbes. That's how life has evolved. They start staying in a cluster. They start, uh, what there's a division of labor. That for me alone to do everything, that digestion, respiration, everything, I find it so difficult to cope up with the external forces of nature. Come, let us cooperate with each other. You do the breathing portion. I do the digestion. I do the this uh, what is the, the thinking th- uh, portion. So that's how, at last, as a human being, we find that wonderful division of labor. The various parts of the body, various organs, are specialized in particular work. Why this evolution has happened? Through this yajna, it has happened through constant. It is not through fight. To cooperation, we conglomerated at last. It was through love. We all sacrificed our little ego for that. Uh, what do you say? That for the greater ego, that entire body now finds expression as one identity. That I am the entire thing. Each and every cell is not fighting by saying I am something separate from the body. They're all cooperating to give me this idea that I am a single individual. This, at last, you cannot go through eternity. At last. This same ananda gets converted into the spiritual ananda when one realizes, oh, the initial mistake has happened. What? I somehow, the consciousness, which is beyond all limitations, I limited it in the micro body. And then constantly I try to realize it through the body. It has evolved. But I can never realize the absolute through body. Because body is however sophisticated it may be, it is limited. I am, after all, I am already free. That's what is echoing through my body. Because because of the misidentification, I have taken the reflection to be real. Why not I see my reality? And then what happens? The renunciation comes. That there is no need for this conglomeration. Now that spiritual union comes into picture. That enough of trying to unite with the physical existence. That also gave joy, but it was limited. Now that same joy is going to become something unbounded when I live off it, live off that and turn my face and say, let me now become one with my father. Let me become again one. So from the evolution starts from that absolute, it goes back to that absolute. It is actually a cyclic process. It's not an eternal straight line. We start from the perfect being, from that absolute, we again go back. And in the entire process, why it has been uh, uh, designed in such a way at each and every state we are experiencing that joy at, at the beginning as a micro body it may be very less joy that joy the more we conglomerate the more we fight with the nature the more we stay as family the more we stay as a united society the joy factor goes on increasing at last when the total selfishness factor is gone 
I'm not that it's, I'm just, when I say that we are trying to relate to the divine means we don't relate to the world. We're relating to the world with the awareness that it is a God who, whose expression, who's to find joy, that who's to experience his own bliss has created this universe and at each and every step, he has actually designed that yagya there. Everywhere that interdependence is there. Why not relate to that? Let my body-mind complex go on for that, uh, for, for fulfilling that purpose. But within my spirit, I always remain identified with the divine being, not with this body. Then the suffering will come. And that's how we can relate to the spiritual identity and gradually live off this, our, this yagya in the physical plane. And that becomes the culmination, the bliss experienced by the devotee, by relating to the divine, is the culmination of this entire journey. And that's how the uh, journey again retraces back to from where it started. So this is the thing which we, we were trying to understand through the Karma Yoga which we are studying. That whenever we are saying that detached karma, the first mistake we do, just that the emotion factor has to be left out. No emotion. Just I am in this state. What can I do? I have to go through this thing. Let me do it totally with disinterest, without any love for anyone, you know, with a hard-hearted way, what I have to do. And at last, I will be one with the maker of my heaven. It's never going to happen that way. It's that's the wrong. Then now. So it's a wonderful balance between attachment and detachment. That's why in Bhagavad Gita, when he was speaking of in the very second chapter of the Sthita Pragya, one of the qualities he told is Anabhisneha. Means the Sthita Pragya doesn't have Abhisneha. He never said he doesn't have Sneha. Sneha is good. Abhisneha is bad. That I shouldn't be hard-hearted, but at the same time I shouldn't be attached. That Sneha is something like infatuation. I, the object of my love when I find is not reciprocating to me the way I want. Suffering comes. That is infatuation. That is, abhi, that is abhisneha. So Bhagavan Krishna is never saying that you should not have sneha. Sneha is good. Unabhisneha. That infatuation is something bad. How hot our love should be? That yes, the God has given me my child. It is he who wants to take care of his creation, that love he has implanted in my heart. It is his love. He grows. And when he is growing, he has his own ways, his sanskara. When if I want a mango tree, I have to plant a mango seed. From a mango seed, I cannot get a jackfruit plant. So each because of his past, that when my child is not mine, he is having his own past. It was just, I was just a channel through which he found expression, now he's growing. Now as he grows, his past will find expression. If it is a jackfruit tree, it will become jackfruit. Just by watering, I cannot make it a mango tree. It will find its expression. And there I don't feel hurt. Now, let, let, him, let him have his own life. I have did my job and there my work ends. And I'm fulfilled that I did my job with full sincerity, whatever I could have done, I have done. When I say that my child has uh, not become as I wanted, it is actually something which speaks of my own selfish expectation. 
I wanted to make the mango tree a jackfruit tree. I had my own imaginations which I wanted to project there. And then the suffering comes. If I would have taken that way, that the nature is that each and every seed has to be nurtured, for that a gardener is required, I am just the gardener. I am the God's gardener. And after doing my job, I am happy that I have done in a proper way. As Swami Vivekananda in one of his lectures uh, is saying, very interesting, it is actually a reflection of Ramakrishna's teaching, that a master has a, has a garden and there were two servants to look after the garden. One servant never used to do any work. Whenever the master is to visit the garden, immediately he will run and just touch his feet, lick his feet, and we just constantly praising him and moving along with him saying, my master, my master. And the other one was a silent worker. He's the one who has actually uh, tended the plants. The plants have grown, they are flowering, they're giving fruit. And then after saying this, the master, Sri Ramakrishna asks, whom the master would love more? Is the one who was always constantly praying, my master, master, or the one who has tended his plants, knowing well that it is his master's garden. It's not his. It is not his uh, own desire that he should grow a mango tree or jackfruit tree. Whatever the master has desired, that only he has planted. And now the plants came and the master is happy. And seeing the master happy, he is happy because he loves the master. And ultimately he is not separate from the master. And it is to experience this love. This garden was actually built so that the joy can be experienced. So this is the idea, basic idea with which the entire Karma Yoga a discussion is going on. So if we just try to relate that how with the concept of the Purushottama, the entire Gita has been explained, then the Karma Yoga becomes something uh, which is actually mixed with our emotion, but that emotion is not ordinary emotion. It is the emotion which finds its identification with the Purushottama. It relates through love with the ultimate divine being who is beyond Akshara and Akshara and conducts his life in such a way that from outside he may look worldly, but internally he is extremely spiritually evolved. Spiritually is not something which has to be projected. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that Shangshari hobe, Shangshari shajbena, Shadhu hobe, Shadhu, Shangshari shajbe, Shangshari hobena, Shadhu hobe, Shadhu shajbena. We do just the opposite. That's, he used to say that always, uh, what you say that uh, be, never become a householder, just act as if you are a householder and become a holy person, never act as a holy person. And we just do the opposite because of our wrong way of understanding of spirituality. So if we understand the spirituality from the Bhagavad Gita's Purushottama concept, this life becomes, the entire life becomes a spiritual journey where not a single action remains secular. Everything becomes spiritual. Everything becomes divine. Knowing very well, it is his universe where I, who am also not a separate thing from him, he has predicted me. So that through me, he experiences the love, which is the aspect of his bliss, bliss which has been spoken of as the Ladini Shakti in the Vaishnava scriptures. So with this, so uh, we can actually go on with this discussion it, uh, to clarify. But yeah, we have to, as time is limited, we have to restrict ourselves. So I just I try to uh, just understand that in the Karma Yoga, whenever we are speaking of that love, 
of which we are as if like a machine that actually it's not a machine it's something is relating to that higher purpose of life so that, that's just to bring that idea home we thought that why not just take a separate class to discuss on it so with this we conclude and when we go through our the remaining portion of the karma yoga we will again and again try to relate to this idea which we tried to highlight in this class today so thank you all namaskars just om shanti shanti shanti